my grandmother she had 13 children but she still played a concertina in between wow <laughs> and in ireland in the old house at that time the only real dry place was above the fireplace so the tea the salt the sugar and the concertina that's that was the hallowed <laughs> ground and you could sit down by the fire she'd pick it down like a fairy tale and start playing hello folks and welcome to another episode of tapping the flow You've just heard the voice of Tim O'Shea, who is a fantastic folk musician from the southwest of Ireland, from a town where I grew up, Killarney actually, in County Kerry, nestled in the lakes of Killarney in the mountains, Ireland's highest mountain, Carantool. There is a little town that has a wonderful history of traditional folk music. Tim O'Shea put on my, I think it was probably my very first acoustic show, in a cafe in town called The Bean House. That was a while ago, you know, and myself and Tim have known each other for quite a long time. He's a very, very hardworking musician and a successful one at that, and also a phenomenally brilliant player and a brilliant singer and a man who knows traditional music history amazingly well. So I firmly encourage you to nestle into this one, grab a cup of tea and just enjoy the flow. It's a brilliant chat. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, here's a little snippet of Tim's music, followed by our conversation. One starry night As I lay dreaming One starry night As I lay in bed I dreamt I heard Wagon wheels creaking When I awoke love my love had fled Once upon a time there was Irish ways and Irish laws Villages of Irish blood Awaken to the morning Awaken to the back the winter is broken And the light lingers long by the door The seeds of the summer have spoken And gowns that bloom on the shore By night and day we sport and we play And delight as the dawn dances over the bay so in, in your, what is it now, 30 years of career, you've had a, a fair bit of experience in collecting and gathering musicians together. How many musicians have you been through now in the 30 years? That's a good question. It, it depends on the territories. The German one now, for instance, I do keep a record, about 22 guys. But what happens is people's circumstances change. You know, jobs, children, wives, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's the way of it. And when you do it that long, nobody's going to stay young for that long or sure. young and free, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And then for for multitude of reasons, as you know yourself, some people aren't suited to the road. It's bloody hard work, as you know. Mm -hmm. And and it's Shane McGowan explained it very well in his his book. He said it was like going going back to school. You know, it's a rigid timetable of when you get up, when you eat, when you get loaded up, when you're on the road, when you arrive at the venue, when you do the sound check, when you have a shower, come back, do the gig, sell the merch, load up again. It is, it's, it's a military operation. 
Sure is. Yeah, I think the reality and the and the imagination are very different things of what it's like on the road, you know? Yeah, of course, you make it appear it's like the circus or whatever. But uh, it's a military operation and logistically it has to go right. Yeah. And that's <laughs> that's that's if nobody gets knocked down by a car or taken away by a wicked woman of the night. <laughs> yeah, or or lacking the woman, they drink the beer and then they're that's taken the, away by that instead, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've had some crazy encounters with the law. Have you now? And, and oh, trying to get people, keep them on the road. Yeah. I mean, I know one guy, I don't think he slept on the tour at all, wherever the hell he went at night. <laughs> I didn't ask him. I said, hey, dude. We're leaving tomorrow at 11 o'clock. You better be there, you know? Yeah. But I don't know where he went. <laughs> Does he know where he went? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, yeah. like, you know. But, you know, yeah. at, at the end of the day, there's a line between what you can get people to do and what you expect them to do. Yeah. And, I mean, being there on time to leave, that's kind of ABC. What they do off stage, that's their business. Yeah, and of course you had no tour manager. You were the tour manager. That's uh, I'm, I'm all in. Sound like the whole shenanigans. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do remember we had a tour manager who saved my arse a few times on the road. You know. Yeah. Um, but I never drank before a gig. That was the. Yeah. I think when I left Ireland and moved to uh, England, I I was offered a drink before the first big gig, and I said, "Look, I'm not touching that." No. I made that choice then, and I stuck to it. Yeah, you're right. You put the music first. That's that's vitally important. What a, what a lot of lads don't understand is that it is about the music. It's about the two hours you're there. You got to make a count. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and let's not forget that the quality of your playing is better when you're not drunk, and to be in touch with that feeling is why you do it. For me, anyway. Oh, absolutely, and reading all the cues, as you know yourself. What's the point in rehearsing if, if you can't read the cues? It's like this. Uh, somebody said one time, you you learn the lines of the play, and now it's time to act it, act it out. Bring it to life. Yeah, and then you have certain liberties when you do know the lines of the play. Mm-hmm. And, and the cues for the other people. And if you get all that almost uh, second nature, you have fierce scope. To expand upon and, and, and improve Absolutely. and improvise and, uh, and connect. And yeah. you're not playing to a brick wall and you're not playing yourself. So there's guys on stage and you have to, you know, communicate with the crowd. You know that too. Uh, yeah. Vital. I, I've been watching videos of you this morning, <clears throat> quite a few of them actually. And, uh, <laughs> I realise now, now that like a lot of my guitar playing style is, is quite similar to yours. I, I think you use dadgad a lot, right, in, in the way you play. I do, yeah. And I use a lot of percussion stuff because I'm so used to... It's more a piano approach. Yeah. Uh, where you have a, a, a drone, uh, the bass lines, and the, you have the two octaves to work with. Yeah. And you can access the notes in three or four positions. So no matter where you are... On the board, you can you can add color. Yeah, it's just handy. It's because when you're relying in the traditional Irish traditional world, it's interesting. Uh, it's changing now, but what what they teach them is melody, 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 which is the tradition, of course. But harmony is kind of left by the by, you know, mm -hmm. and they don't teach that. So chord progressions and melodic line, it seems to be a bit absent from some of that learning. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to get somebody to play a melody over a bunch of chords, it, it is often a, a deficit of time to get that because it's different than what they're doing. Yeah. You know. 
Yeah. So you learn to compensate by having an open tuned guitar where you can do it all like yourself. Yeah. You can do, you can fill the gaps. Yeah. I, I, one of my things with tuning is if I'm reaching for a note and I can't quite get it, I'll often just retune the string and then, then you have a new world. To there you go. Into, you there know. you go. Nick Drake was a victim of his, you know, of that, wasn't he? He was amazing. And I, I've been a big fan of his and unfortunately a tortured soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he invented tunings and he invented a way of playing. But probably one of the big things you see on his documentary, Skin Too Few, is uh, when he went in to play, he, he went in with the guitar and they did it live. And then they added the strings later, completely in time. Right. And very, very complex uh, underlines and overlines in his playing but never missed a beat, never missed anything. And then he that kind of lazy singing over the top. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a wonderful balance and, and unique to him as well, you know. Oh, totally unique. Y- you mentioned, uh, was it a skin too few? Is that what you just said? Yeah, so I, I, uh, my nickname growing up was skin, but that's another story. And as you know, uh, as you know, in Ireland, a skin, you know what a skin, a sound skin is somebody of good character. Yeah. I don't know if they use that in England as much. Not so much. Yeah, yeah. No. It does go around though, yeah. So that there was those two things and then the whole idea of the onion that uh you know, if you take off one layer there's another one and it looks different. You take that one off and then there's another one. But the main thing is is that if life throws stuff at you, uh it's like the the snake you can throw off that skin with that experience Mm -hmm. and start again and you can Mm -hmm. keep going but sometimes people run out Mm. so uh, on that last the current album that that we have i just got an idea one day that here locally in county kerry in the southwest of ireland i hope your listeners know where that is we yourself and myself come from a an amazing natural area yeah and with that comes music and tradition and a lot of the guys we knew and played with growing up, they passed away uh, uh, naturally and unnaturally. But I thought, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be nice that uh, to commemorate their participation and, and, and torch-bearing the culture, was there a tune or a song attributed to them that everyone here locally knew? So it was kind of a node, to use your own uh-huh. uh, phrase or word, uh, to them. So we set about researching and it was amazing, you know, these torchbearers of tradition. There's very few uh, recordings. And despite all the gadgetry we have and have had since the 60s, there was very few recordings of the local guys because a lot of them weren't commercially uh, out there, you know. So we did get some and we, we asked around and we and we put together a collection of music. So that was a kind of a... yeah an idea I thought of whether it, it will be remembered or people think anything of it that's we'll have to see well I was going to ask you about this because your latest album is called A Skin Too Few and now yeah. you've just described to me the the sort of process behind that so where did you find the songs well the melodies were from the area the songs were ones I just heard and picked up both from locals and on, on, on the travels yeah. but just finished that Skin Too Few thing uh uh, Nick Drake's sister in, in his documentary she said that her mother or Nick Drake's mother also uh, was a songwriter mm-hmm. and a wonderful songwriter and she said that when they when the after Nick took his own life and all that 
they asked the mother, what do you think happened? And she said that he didn't have enough skins. He had a skin too few. Yeah. So that's how that came about. And I, I just kind of brought that on and applied it to our, our own situation. Yeah. Yeah. So the tunes were, were from inquiries locally and some archive material. And then the songs were just gathered from people I heard singing them here locally and also on the travels. Yeah. Where does a where do, where does a melody come from in this context? Where does the invention of the melody come from, do you think? Well, traditional music has been there, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. And of course, people do compose. It's not a it's not a, a staid or, or, or kind of museum tradition. It's moving and it, and it gains life. And in the, in the time before radio, you could say 1950s or before that, even there was traveling salesmen in Ireland. This is one of the older players was telling me mm -hmm. and uh, he they often played, you know, and uh, they might have heard them play a bit and they'd have to wait 12 months to hear the rest of it, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, so there's all kinds of transmission levels. But obviously, traditional music it was the pubs in Ireland. Yeah. And, and then if you were lucky to be invited to parties or somebody's house, that's where you picked it up. So it was an oral tradition, a listening tradition. You know, was that was that something you had from an early age as well? Oh yeah, I mean, the, my first hearing was the old fella, the old man. He's he, he, unfortunately he died young and tragically, but uh, he, him, and all his people played. So that would be the first exposure. But I remember my grandmother; she had thirteen children, but she still played a concertina in between. Wow! <laughs> I don't know how she managed that, but she was a great person. Uh, when, you, when she was playing, she had two things. One, the joy of playing. And in Ireland, in the old house at that time, the only real dry place was above the fireplace. So the tea, the salt, the sugar, and the concertina, that's, that was the hallowed <laughs> ground. And you could sit down by the fire, she'd pick it down like a fairy tale and start playing. So she had the joy of music, but of course she had this thing and it was the first stage performance thing I ever learned. If she saw somebody enjoying it or engaging with her, she just opened up. And I thought, wow, that is amazing. That magic, that power. And that's mm -hmm. a woman with 13 kids, no education, living in the mountains of Kerry, you know? Yeah. Did she compose music as well? No, no, she, her, her father and, and the people around would have saw the generation before that. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where in Kerry was that? Over near Kinmare. She's dead 50 years or more, mm -hmm. you know. So she inherited that previous 50 years. So you're talking 100 years for her alone. Yeah. You know. And uh, all her sons then, uh, they all played and sang, all of them. Yeah. It just was kind of like having tea. <laughs> you just play and sing. There was no kind of learning or formal learning or analysis or... Yeah, you know, and of course back then uh, there was much more of a community. They didn't travel that much because bicycle probably, but also everything was celebrated with vigor because they were the rare opportunities between very hard manual labor. Now all my father's people were craft people. They were all uh, carpenters and brickies and this kind of stuff. Yeah. So if it was Easter or Christmas or whatever, uh, they would have celebrated that. In the houses, of course. Yeah. You know.
So there's something incredibly beautiful about the image of that concertina sitting above the mantle of the fire, you know, that, like, did you see it yourself in that scenario? Just Oh, I did, of course. I mean, I was only yeah. seven or eight years old and I remember seeing it and I, I even remember reading it was made in China back then. <laughs> there were red coloured ones. Yeah. And uh, of course, the concertina, of course, across Western Ireland, the West Coast of Ireland was uh, the women's instrument because it was light. Yeah delicate yeah and you didn't have to tune it really yeah it wasn't like a stringed instrument where there was more maintenance you know so it was a very easy accessible instantly playable machine you know like kneading dough as well isn't it sort of like it's a delicate hand sort of thing oh she was very hands-on it's another time when you think about it i mean she made the butter yeah and they drank the buttermilk and all that stuff i mean they lived very organically, very self-sustaining. The only thing you bought was some clothes, tea, sugar, salt. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. And later on, when they had a car, obviously, and petrol for the car. Yeah. You know. So, so they lived in a, I suppose, a sheltered existence. But were they happier? Certainly, music was a part of that happiness for sure. They were in touch with nature as well. Let's not forget that you know, living off the land. Oh, absolutely. And the rhythm, the rhythm of the seasons and, and uh, it's a little theory I have about the light. They lived with the light, like all Aboriginal people. Yeah. They got up with the dawn and they went to bed with the, with the dark. Yeah. And then in the winter, they made their own light. So there was a physical act in making light, whether it's firelight or paraffin lamplight or candlelight. Mm-hmm. There was a physical engagement. It wasn't just a switch. There was kind of a, ceremonial you could nearly say it's a reverence isn't it? it's a gratitude for that power as well you know we've forgotten that part of our existence to be grateful for what we have you know absolutely and and i think now with what's happening yeah there's definitely more a meditative uh evaluation of of, of what's going on you know because you can't go to the shop and buy stuff except for food mm-hmm. so maybe that's a good reminder for everybody and like that the value of friendship relations uh, camaraderie you know yeah not everyone has a good you know yeah but certainly here in County Kerry as you know yourself all disciplines of music are, are, are pursued and we're lucky I suppose if you get to a commercial side of it mm. that tourism is, is the lifeblood of this place and if you have something you can offer the visitor it's a commodity and you can sell it now the pitfall of course is the commodification of these art forms and then the quality and the motivation. Yeah, I was going to get to that because you are serving authentic quality music yourself. I can see that in the countless videos I've seen this morning. I know from seeing it that you're very true to the tradition. You're you're making it stronger by playing it. You're not just selling out. You're giving the people something special, you know. I see that. That's a big compliment coming from yourself, a man of your stature. <sighs> yeah, we, we, I mean, there's so many, everybody, there's room for everyone, that's the first thing. Yeah. And the only way you can measure one thing against another is that there's plenty of everything. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like you say, like you, you have to be true. What, what do you, I mean, it's your life. <laughs> what are you going to do, fake your life? I don't think so. Yeah. And and people will see through that. Yeah, yeah. You know, they see falsities. And the other thing is, uh, we do our six months here, yeah. and then we go on the road. So the six, one serves the other. Yeah. So as you know, if you have a paying audience, there's a, there's a bargain there. You have to, you, you've already entered a, a treaty with them. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so you can't you can't fool them, and they're not going to be parted from the hard earned the cash to some make believe guy. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so that's the challenge, but it's also a, a duty in many ways. Yeah, you know, and at the end of the day, when you look back over the years, uh, what were you doing anyway? Yeah, you know, it's about the work, isn't it? It's about the work, yeah. There is no. There, there are two things to realize. There's no race. You know, you're not no, in a race no, with somebody no, else. No, each no. journey is radically different. You know, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think we've discussed this before, but you have to build your own pillar to stand on because if everything's taken away from under you and you don't know what you're doing, you're gone. You know, so build your own stairs, walk in your own shoes, know your own road. You know, take advice advice along the way. That's it. Count on friends, you know. But you, you were one of these people that supported me very early on. You know, you put on shows. Um, why, why do you do it? Still doing it. Still doing it. Still doing it. Still haven't learned. <laughs> well, we do the, the summer ones. Uh, a lot of people don't remember those things, but uh, yeah. we do the summer ones. Uh, we do 10 free concerts, two in the National Park and, and the rest in a beautiful church here in Killarney. And it's, it's a wonderful acoustic environment. And for a church, it's not a big echoey room. In fact, I was down there uh, at the end of last year, just looking around again and taking it in. And one, uh, it's a beautiful building architecturally. So it's a center of art and architecture. I mean, the wall hangings, the sculptures, everything. It's amazing. A lot of mosaics. But two thirds of the building is wood. So that gives you great uh, acoustic properties. Plus, it's not that big. It's not a big cavernous church. It's it maxed out as 300 people. So even if you have 50, it looks great. You know, anyone that attains anything or has experience, I think that's part of it, certainly in the Irish tradition and perhaps in every other tradition, that if you have something to offer, not alone the audience and a promoter, but fellow musicians or up and coming ones. Because when I was growing up here in, in, in Killarney, and your listeners might know it from their holidays, uh, mm-hmm. if you haven't got money, you can't go to music classes. If your parents haven't got money and you haven't got a car, you can't go anywhere. So <laughs> with that kind of setup, I learned myself and we just plowed our own little furrow. But I'm always trying to cater for that young fella that lacks opportunity. And, and with that comes a confidence bash. So anyway, life is a confidence trick. So if you can help anybody boost our confidence and opportunity is everything. Mm. And if you can give anybody with any, any level of ability and interest an opportunity, it's amazing as Leonard Cohen says, the crack will let the light in, you know? Yeah. And any bit of a G up at all, and especially if they see that you're, uh, you know, experienced or whatever, that's even a better bonus bonus because it's coming from someone who can open the doors to some degree. Yeah, and someone who is putting on uh, like a quality sound system, a quality environment in which to play. Yeah, yeah, and you know it yourself from doing your own gigs. There's a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of uh, work involved in it, but it sweetens the performance time the performance time you have a higher reverence for it and you realize what it takes to get to that stage pardon the pun yeah yeah. and and then your audience if they don't see you that frequently they also realize geez if i don't go to see him now i mightn't see him for another two years yeah so there's all that and and if you have the wherewithal and you're you're able to uh influence it one way or the other and open it up it's amazing 
you know, the smallest little chink of, of, of an opening can, can be like, you know, just bring people on. Yeah, the first rung of the ladder is often the hardest one to reach, you know, and that's... Oh, it is. And and it's also about breaking, you know, the whole breaking into the confidence thing and giving yourself a boost and realising that someone does see you. It's not a blank canvas out there. It's not bleak, that there are people looking. Mm-hmm. And as you know yourself from working with people, talent is a variable thing, mm-hmm. but attitude is everything. Mm-hmm. If you have a productive and positive attitude, everything else will come and likability that's a, a hidden talent mm-hmm. you know if people like you on all levels or all kinds of people man that's so valuable you know yeah yeah genuine yeah yeah and anybody who does the graft and builds their builds their talent builds their uh, body of work build you know builds their act that's all hugely in, and for me to see that the youngsters blooming you know just at the beginning, they have the chops and all they need now is a small bit of smoothing over or not smoothing over, but it's the opportunity to, to showcase themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what we're all craving for. We all have, uh, we're all searching for something. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, as you mentioned, smoothing over, but it's the opposite of that, really, isn't it? It's, the, it's a, allowing them to be themselves more than anything else, because the generic nature of the industry now is that everything is flattened out and rounded. And I know you're a fan of rawness. Yes. You know. Oh, big time. I mean, the individual is the thing. I was listening to someone who will remain nameless uh-huh. last night, a local guy here, and he's got it all. But he hasn't got the originality, which is a crying shame because he's got the looks, he's got the sound, he's got the skills. But he's, he's, maybe he will get there, I don't know. But I'd rather see a diamond in the rough than a a diamond in the clear, you know. Than a diamond in a shop window, you mean, yeah. Absolutely, a cut diamond. I mean, who cut it? Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, it's a, it's the it's the Sheeran effect, isn't it? You know, I think because Ed Sheeran is is obviously quite successful, and people want to sound like yeah. that. Yeah, well, we all have that commerciality. We all think this is the way to do it, but yeah, the smallest little again, it's confidence about your own accent, your own approach, your own uh, sound, mm-hmm. and pursuing that. It's a voice. I mean. The sign of greatness, not that everyone has to be great, but the first couple of bars of any item, I mean, you can just hear it. If you listen to the blues musicians, how many cards do they have? Yeah. It's not about that. And I believe there's always there's always people there with this, with this unique voice, and they just need a small few pointers, a little bit of opportunity yeah. to, to make that happen. Just let's sure look at Glenn Hansard, you know. That man can hold court for four hours just singing on his own with a guitar as raw as you like, you know. It's interesting you mention him now because there's actually a plaque in that Church of Ireland in Killarney to Hansard. Is there? <laughs> yeah, and it Success. must be his crowd. I think it's a Norwegian or Dan- Danish name, but there can't be too many Hansards in the Irish phone directory. Right. Can't be. So he must be a relation. He must be a relation. Yeah, yeah. Just up near the altar on the right-hand side, there's a Hansard in there. Wow, I did not know that, yeah. Uh, there must be a handful of those in the country, yeah. must be, you know. But uh, in fairness, I have to say the Church of Ireland people are wonderful. They're wonderful. Like, they never once uh, question our performance or the quality or the, or, or the content or anything. Yeah. They trust us 
and we 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 respect them for giving us uh, and it is a church that's the thing i have to remind my people lads no swearing nothing uh, you know lewd this is a house of, of yeah. worship you got to respect that you know yeah. and we have a unique place here to do our thing and uh, and i record most of the sessions uh, and i give it to anyone that's interested yeah and it's amazing the sound there you know and 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 uh, the other thing we try to help them with is just if you have a bunch of people on stage communicating with them effectively and then with the audience but also they choose all the material right and then i ask them why did you choose that so i i kind of veto the or i qualify the the set you're list you're curating it aren't you essentially yeah exactly yeah. that's a good word yeah mm. so they get the sense of freedom in those things and then they get the sense oh he's going to make better we hope yeah and then they dress up they're there for sound check there's all this stuff and when it's over then there's a sense of uh, achievement there's a sense of oh i never did that before Mm -hmm. That was cool, you know. And and what I see from the audience is they love it. They love the surrounding. They love the presentation. They love the young people, and they can see a work in progress. It's an exciting time, as you know. Bands on the way up are very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And as you know yourself, we have some wonderful places in our town here, yeah. listeners. Uh, if anyone's coming to Killarney. The, the INEC, you're going to be there yourself, hopefully, at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, that's a tremendous place to do your thing. That's a proper professional international venue, you know? It's one of the best in the country, I think, you know? Oh, really. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that the fact that you have access to it, mm. you can just, you know, people say, oh, can you come and play there? And, you know, and as you do, in fairness to you, and I think a lot of, of people in your position as singer-songwriters, you generate your own audience too. Yeah. And that's hugely valuable, I Yeah, yeah, it's hard work, but yeah, that's how it works, yeah. It, it, it is hard work, but like, again, if you're on the, on, the, on the stage, then the sweetness and the respect for how you got there. I mean, anyone can get there, but it's to stay there is the thing. Yeah. Sustainability, yeah. You're a very successful uh, performer and player, aren't you? You've been doing it for 30 years. You, you tour, you record. Yeah, I didn't set out as a, to be a professional. It was always a hobby, and then it became semi-professional. Right. But then I was working on a historical project because that's what I did for a real job. Ah, okay. I was a historical researcher years ago, and uh, that project was funded by the state, and I ran out of money, the typical. And I said, okay, uh, I'll make a program for the second part of the project. If you can go away and get the money, I'm going to go away around the world. And when I get back, if you're still interested, we can continue. So I w went around the world, submitted my program. And when I came back, <laughs> they didn't have the money. No. So I said, oh, what do I do now? So it was summer and I started playing. And I had always gone to America because I have family there. And I had always gone to Germany because I got a massive opportunity way back. So I was doing that even when I was working. Mm -hmm. So I said, is there any way of extending all those things and how would I do it? So I just added one brick on top of the other. Did the season in Killarney, extended the German one, extended the American one. And that's what I've been doing for all those years. Building and building, yeah. Yeah, building bit by bit. Uh, yeah, 
How old were you when you went off around the world? Oh, that I was in my 20s. Yeah. 25, 20, about, let me see. No, 30. 30, I was 30, yeah. Was that the equivalent of a sort of like just free travelling sort of thing that people do, like just to see places or...? Well, it, I, I mean, I, the, the thing is, the other thing is in life in general and certainly in the music business, you have to recognise an opportunity when it presents itself. Mm-hmm. So you have to be astute and aware and open that, hold on a minute, this is a message, this is an opportunity. Okay, I have to act on that. So at the end of that funding... I said, okay, that's the that's my chance, and if I don't do it now, I probably won't do it ever. Yeah. And when you're young, youngish, thirty, uh, you have the energy and the enthusiasm. And I always love travel, so I put my guitar on my back and I headed east, and I came back west, <laughs> right, all the way for nine months, all the way around the globe, and I bust and played around and had a great time all, all over. Yeah. So when I got back, then I, 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 you know, it's very hard to settle if you've been traveling for nine months solid. Hmm. So it was summer, which helped a lot. So I just got stuck in the playing, and then that's it. I said, "Let's try this." Yeah. So I went at it in a pragmatic kind of a way that uh, if I could sustain myself like a, 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 a tradesman yeah. for twelve months, I'd keep on. Yeah, yeah. So I did, and then I planned the next twelve months, and then I said, "Okay." Recordings, that is the uh, calling card for music. Yeah. You're nothing until you record yeah. in many ways. And then th that also demonstrates uh, a completed work, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah. So I went down to Tony. He was up. Tony's, you know, Tony's uh, our studio in Killarney. Tony Flaherty, yeah. And Tony was operating out of his bedroom at the time, the f his first studio. He's gone on to. In, in Ballyspillan, was it? Ballyspillan. And yeah. uh, he went on to his bigger and better things. So I went in there, made a record, was nervous, of course, and oh, yeah. all the daggers are going to be out and the judgments and this, that and the other. Yeah. So the next step then was, okay, this is complete. I can't do any more. I'm going to send it to the top five reviewers in the country and see what they say. Yeah. And I got some very good feedback. In fact, it was nominated for one of the best uh, records of that year in that category by the Hot wow. Press, I think it was. Brilliant. Yeah, so I said, okay, <laughs> next one, and move on. And that was it, really. Small targets, achievable, and you just move on. But you've done all of this in a very sort of like, you're going to do your taxes, you're going to do your accounts, you're going to plan when you're going to record, when you're going to play. It's, it's very organised. So what happens then? And if you follow, I always had an eye on the, on the, the stars, shall we say, or the yeah. well-established guys. And I was wondering how they were doing it. So anytime I met them at festivals or anything, I, always, I was never shy about asking, never. And they were more than gracious about telling you because maybe they could sense the enthusiasm or something. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge bonus to get, you know, the insights from the experienced guys. But what I found out is they were planned a year or a year and a half in advance. And I thought, oh man, how could you do that? Like, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I just put the head down and, and then what happens is your year, your calendar year unfolds into a regularity. Yeah. So on this month you do this and that month you do that. And these are the planning months and these are the working months and so on. And with the taxes then, I didn't want to get a tax bill and I didn't want to be hounded and I didn't want to be constricted in any way 
so you could publicly do gigs and advertise. So just went for it, did it. Yeah. Yeah, and same with all the IMRO and uh, First Music Contact and all those registrations with the... Yeah. It would be the PRS in, in England. IMRO's PRS equivalent, yeah. Yeah, yeah all those uh, organizations. That was an exploration just to see how does this work? Mm-hmm. Does it work? Yeah. A- and let's give it a go. Yeah. And I've been with them since, yeah. you know, since since the first recording. Because yeah, so, you, obviously you have your original songs, don't you? So yeah, yeah. They're some generating you some royalties, right? Well, the thing in the in the traditional world is if you put together a set of music, which is three tunes typically, two or three tunes. Yeah. If you put them together in your arrangement, you can claim that as an original work. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of paperwork, as you know, in in the application of all that stuff. Yeah. But uh, the other thing, it, it propels you forward because you have to have a uh, proven uh, public radio play, yeah. which you have to go to the, the local radio station, get a, a letter from them to say they played it on such and such a date. Yeah. That matches their logs. And they're all eligible uh, criteria for joining. But that propels you forward, you know. Steps, yeah, all steps. Yeah, it all propels you forward and it all adds up to the whole equation. And uh, before you know it, you're you're there, you're in the business and then you just do it, you know. Yeah. That, as you know, you're self-employed as a cottage industry. Mm-hmm. And you know yourself that you have to have, you have to be multidisciplined and very focused to keep that going. Uh, but I often think of the actors. We have some actors in our family, quite well-known ones. Right. And, uh, I mean, they're downtime. They they go to auditions constantly. Yeah. And they're lucky to get one out of ten. Tough game, yeah. I mean, how, how, how damaging is that like? <laughs> so, you know, we can go to a street corner and we have an audience. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you compare yourself to those. Our dancers, I mean, they have to be physically fit and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Monitor their uh, intake of food and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think we have it good. That's, that's good to hear, actually. That's very reassuring, Tim, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not so bad. And I mean, if you're a, a dancer in your mid-30s, you're kind of heading for retirement. Yeah, or teaching, yeah. 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 That's it, yeah. What's the? I've been listening to your, your voice quite a lot this morning. Um, wh- where did it come from? You're, you have an amazing vibrato in your voice. I was curious about that. I don't know, and thank you very much. That's a nice compliment. Again, coming from yourself. Funnily enough, I hid <clears throat> I hid the voice behind the guitar for years because I yeah. didn't think I had a voice at all. And that's why the guitar playing got better because I was trying to cover it up. Yeah. And I mean, Jimi Hendrix had that problem. Not that I'm Jimi Hendrix. And, and Rory Gallagher, both them hated their voices. Yeah. You know, and they used the guitar to cover up. So I was kind of listening to them and say, oh, if they can do it, why can't I, you know? Yeah. And then uh, a number of years ago, uh, a couple of people, an old man, I remember playing a place one night and a very distinguished, well-dressed man, definitely retired in his 70s, very, you know, well-spoken, well-appointed kind of interview. He came up and he shook my hand and he said, you know what? I really love that tonight because I could understand what you were singing. Mm-hmm. And I said, bing, that's great. So I was thinking, okay, maybe I could do work on tone. If I have the diction, mm. maybe the tone could be something. So I started working on that. 
and listening and practicing and lis listening back and see can you improve the tone and as you know in the studio it's pretty unforgiving mm. what you record is what you get so yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean there are some studio tricks we all know those that's uh, a harsh reality in the studio though it is i mean it's a snapshot and if you're yeah. if you haven't got the, the work done beforehand the mic is going to bite you like yeah yeah so i think if you if you relax and 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 you know, sing with your body rather than your face. Yeah. You know, or your or your throat, and and just get in touch with what you're singing about. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing to, to contribute. And then, of course, if you get some validation and some nice comments, that helps. Yeah, but they say the thing about vibrato is it's a sign of a relaxed singer. You know, so you clearly are very relaxed when you're singing. Oh, that's number one. You have to get in touch with the song and uh, yeah. get relaxed. I did a very interesting exercise there over the lockdown. Uh, some of the German people who were coming to the gigs, they're older people. They wouldn't be speaking English at all. And my yeah. German was very sketchy. But they were asking nicely over the years for some kind of narrative on the song. So what I set down, uh, because we had the time, I sat down, listed 30 songs. Mm -hmm. And the challenge was to research them again. I had some of the research and I hadn't for others. Research the songs and then the next challenge was to encapsulate the song in two or three sentences. Right. So I did that and I found all that very challenging and interesting. Uh, and writing skills and descriptions and power words and what have you. Yeah. And then I got a friend of mine in Germany to translate it into German. So now I have that for this year. But when I look back over all the songs, I just look back and say, what was I singing about all those years? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I found out it was the, the folk stuff. You know, you have war songs, anti-war songs, love songs, immigration songs. Yeah ballads, historical depictions, whatever. But it was an interesting to see, number one, the comprehensive subject matter, and number two, the, uh, the actual content of the songs and the antiquity of the songs, the age, mm. where did they come from? The oldest one I had was from the Middle Ages, would you believe it? Right. And if you hear the song, you say, oh, no, that can't be. It's kind of a throwaway, silly song. Like a court jester kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's called Coonla, which is an Irish word. Right. Uh, and it tells the story about just basically a fella getting it off with a queer one. <laughs> you know, a fella having his way, with, his wicked way with a woman. Yeah. And that, that came from a, a nursery rhyme, would you believe it, way back in the Middle Ages. So that was a surprise to find out the antiquity of that. But a lot of the songs that we sing in the folk tradition here would, of course, be English and Scottish yeah. connections. And often when they were collected here by noblemen who often saw the importance of this material, and there's, some, there's maybe 10 or so very important collections of songs from Ireland, England and Scotland. Yeah. And often the texts are changed when they come here the vernacular but the, the 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 nub of the story is the same right and there's there's one group of songs if you go to the archives uh they call them night visiting songs i don't know if you've heard that before basically night visiting is is, is a, a guy looking for a, a woman and get his wicked way with him yeah, yeah yeah you know throw the leg over or whatever but of course back back before triple x and amsterdam and all the rest of it they had to disguise the uh 
the lewd nature of the pursuit. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was very interesting. One song, they use birds, various birds, to describe it, and the descriptions of the birds and so on. And other songs, they use other things, you know. But there's one song then, uh, King George the Fourth, I think it was, he used to have this, what would you, what would you call it, uh, fantasy or whatever. He used to dress up as a peasant. Right. The king. And go out and 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 have his wicked way with young farm girls. This was his this was his fetish, and that's a proven fact. That's in the history books. Yeah, it's totally believable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but the thing is, on this particular song, uh, <laughs> the woman knew well he wasn't a bigger because his skin and his nails, mm-hmm. both his toenails and his fingernails. She saw them up close, <laughs> so she said, "There's no way you're a beggar, man." But anyway, it was interesting to, to just trawl through that a bunch of songs and, and see what the hell were we singing about in the first place. So there's a common thread there somewhere. Well, it's interesting. It's comprehensive, but the folk tradition hasn't really changed that much. Yeah. You know, they still sing about the same things. Maybe we call it different names. Maybe we call it politics. Maybe we call it eco, whatever. But, uh, you know, it's still there. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. Now, when you write a song, of course, you intimately, you have an intimate connection to the song. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. as you know yourself, all the ones you've written, what are they about? Uh, you know, you construct the language, you, you do the complete anatomy of the song. Yeah, and you respond. You respond to the guttural feeling of it very much as well. You know, it's. Uh, yeah. I think the way each word is is uh, is announced is sort of very personal to a person. You know, to each individual person. When you're a singer songwriter, of course. Well, that's what you'd be striving for is the individual voice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but so when when you um, when you work in nature, for example, because I know you're doing gardening and stuff these days, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. find music comes to you when you're working in the garden? Is it something that's always on in your head? Well, it's interesting you ask that now because I live here on the edge of a natural uh, broadleaf wood. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a what we call in Ireland and England probably a common edge. Yeah. So nobody owns it. In other words, it's it's it can't be farmed, it can't be forested. It's just natural woodland. Mm-hmm. So we have the the dawn chorus and all that. Uh, but every day, if I go for my walk or whatever. I have a little test. How many natural and man-made sounds can I hear today? Mm-hmm. And usually the, the natural sounds outnumber the man-made sounds, funnily enough, especially yeah. now with the lockdown and, and no flights yeah. and very little traffic on the road. So that's a nice... And I mean, you can, you can absorb that and say, well, that's, that, there's, there's an orchestra right there. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. And again, it it puts you at ease and opens your mind, and empties it of nonsense. I, Irish music reminds me of bird song. I would suggest quite a lot the way that it moves around a lot. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it's a dance. You know, the melodically speaking, it's a dance. And I wonder where that actually came from. You know, is it is it something you've researched yourself? The oh, I have origins. researched the origins of the tunes uh, yeah. without getting too technical, and it's the one that people are interested about. Yeah. In the old masters, they had three categories of Irish music. Uh, one was for happy. Yeah. One was sad. And the other one then was surprisingly was for meditation. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so it was Gyal Tree, Soon Tree and Gyan Tree. 
Right. They were the Irish words for it. So out out of that, then you have all these dance melodies. And in Irish music, we have approximately 13 types of tunes. And there's about six or seven uh, time signatures. Yeah. And then you'd say, how can you get 13 types of tunes from six time signatures? How does that work? Well, it's kind of a subtle difference because if you accent one of the beats, it changes the type of tune it is. Yeah. For instance, like polkas and marches, almost the same thing, except there's a slight accent. Slides and jigs, almost the same thing to the untrained ear. Yeah. except an accent. But yeah. then if you connect that with the dancing, you can see the difference yeah. between jigs and slides. You know, so, uh, but a lot of the Irish tunes, the most ancient, of course, the early music would be all the harp music. Yeah. Which, which would be dating back at least a thousand years or more. Because Brian Baru, the High King of Ireland, who kept the Vikings out of Ireland, mm. you heard of him, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He actually went to school in Killarney in Inishvalon really? Island was, ah, okay. was before there's universities as we know and the monks, the monastic settlements were the universities at the time yeah. where they studied scripture, history, clan wars, all kinds of things. Uh, Latin, of course, was widely spoken, but he played the harp. He was a County Clare man. And I mean that's ten fourteen. He he met his nemesis in in in, in Clontarf, just outside Dublin there. Yeah. So he played the harp. So I mean that's a wonderful thing. Even even in Ireland, and I do workshops in schools sometimes. We're the only country that I know of in the world with a national symbol, a musical instrument. Yeah. I mean it's the harp. I mean that's, true, that's the Brian, yeah. that, that's the Brian Brew harp that that yeah. you're looking at there, and. Uh, I mean, how many countries can say that? Most people have birds, plants, or animals. Yeah. But we have a musical instrument. So that's not by accident, I don't think. So this whole rule of song structure of the of the 13 different types of of uh, tune and or how, as you described it, that obviously originated from somewhere way, way back in. Well, they all had different origins and all had different genesis. For instance, the reel okay. is probably an English invention. Right, if you look okay. yeah. back far enough. The jig is probably uh, Mediterranean or Italian because mm-hmm. in the Irish alphabet, there's no J. Right. So there's, there's a clue right away. Polkas, of course, come from Poland and Czech Republic and that uh, near east side of Europe. Yeah. And the other thing is that we know that a lot of this music arrived in Ireland with soldiers. Mm-hmm. And you say, how did that happen? Well, believe it or not, war was an employer worldwide. Mm. And you could fight for whoever you wanted. And as you know, the Irish people love fighting. Mm-hmm. So they went off as it was a job to fight for Spain or Italy or Mexico. Or In a mercenary sort of way then, yeah. Yeah, kind of mercenaries, but they, they, they were kind of economic migrants. Yeah. And they had plenty of experience in Ireland because <laughs> we've been fighting for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Uh, so when they came back, obviously there were some of them had to be musicians, uh, and they brought them back. And then that's where set dancing, or square dancing, as the Canadians call it, that came from France. Yeah, you know, with soldiers and so on. So our tradition was infused from all the other traditions, and in the military tradition, there's a whole host of Irish involvement. Even in the British one, there's the Ulster Constabulary. 
there's uh, the pipers that they use all over. And in, Nor in parts of India, the Sikhs, the, mm -hmm. the Irish were fighting with the British against the Sikhs, but then when they saw the injustice, they turned it around. Yeah. So if you go to the Sikh part of India and tell them you're Irish, you're huge. And Mexico, the same thing, the San Patricios, that happened down there too. Right. The, the Irish were fighting with the Mexicans uh, on the disputed border area of West Texas and down along yeah. there. Yeah. And then when they saw the injustice, they joined up with the Mexicans. Yeah, defenders <laughs> of injustice, that's it, right? There you go. Or, or you just, we'll, we'll fight, but we'll fight for the side that deserves it the most, you know? <laughs> that's it. And uh, we'll fight to the death, and then we wonder, what, what are we fighting for again? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we're fighting for the fight. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the whole thing. And uh, in, in County Kerry in the southwest, your listeners, I'm sure, are aware of it, some of them anyway. Not for sure, yeah. It's the Lake District of Ireland, one of the Lake Districts of Ireland, but also yeah. there's tradition... In West Kerry along the coast, definitely the singing is king there because the language still exists, the Gaelic language, Irish. And they, that is still very present tradition. Yeah. Uh, and then if you go to East Kerry, it's definitely a lot of dancing, slides and polkas, those particular tune types. What is it that sort of makes that delineation properly uh, happen? You know, why is it that on the coast the Shonos is more the language, powerful? The, the language, language, the language is eradicated from this part, right? And usually, where the big house and the estate settlements came in, the language went. But as the land went further west in County Kerry in the southwest of Ireland, yeah, it got rougher and less yeah. arable. Yeah. So the gentry and the the plantation people back in the fifteen eighties, they didn't see it as viable, a farmland. Yeah. So they didn't settle it. So the language still continued. So the songs were in it to keep the language alive, essentially. Well, the language was there before the song, I suppose. But and then yeah. you have on on the outside of Dingle, you have the Blasket tradition, mm -hmm. the islands there. They had a, a very much a singing because they were there all winter. I mean, they had to do something. Yeah. So with the language and the fairy, the, the folk tales and so on. And then that was largely collected in great amounts uh, from the 1930s onwards. And of course, John Millington Singh, who is mm. English, I believe, mm. uh, he collected a lot of that information. And the Playboy of the Western World, that was kind of depiction, uh, I mean, a fantasized depiction of reality in, in mm. Ireland. And in around 1906, I think that was. Yeah. You know, so you have somebody knew about all this stuff. And then after that, you had all the uh, people visiting the Blasket Islands, these uh, et ethnographers recording mm. this dying way of life. Mm. And as we said, symbiosis with nature, mm. just an Aboriginal type of life. Uh, yeah. You take from the sea, you give back, you give thanks and you just get on with it. Yeah. It's all there. And we have a strong storytelling tradition in this county as well. Definitely, yeah. yeah. With great writers, you know, especially in North Kerry. Mm -hmm. John B. Keane, Mac yeah. Mahan, all these guys, Brendan Kennelly. Mm. You know, so we, we live in a rich place, no doubt it's about it. It's an extraordinary place, really, isn't it? Biodiversity-wise, nature and, and people, as you say, literature, art, music, phenomenal place. For a small yeah. footprint. Yeah. For a small area. People are amazed because Americans come here and they want to do Ireland. 
you know <laughs> and they think a week or two weeks will do it but they don't forget that if you go to a village and something's happening you could be there for a week absolutely yeah <laughs> which reminds yeah. me of a great story that the characters are still alive and well they're thinning out but they're there two friends of mine from germany were in uh, the west coast of clare during the hot summer we had two or three years ago yeah and uh, anyway, they were sitting down, middle of the day, sun baking the street. And next thing, they heard this tractor, ancient tractor, putt-putting down along the street. Stopped outside the pub, which they were in. Only them and the barkeeper. All the windows and doors were opening, opened, and the sunlight was streaming in and filling up the whole place. And next thing, this guy got off the tractor. Tractor kept running came into the pub and before he got to the counter the guy the, the barkeep knew him well of course and had his yeah. order and it was a whiskey so onto the counter with the whiskey he put the teeth into the whiskey shrizzled them around drank the whole out back teeth and all and out the door and down the street <laughs> and I mean you couldn't make it up that's brilliant yeah, <laughs> yeah. That. and that's only a couple of years ago so they're still there hanging out these old rural characters you know oh yeah that happens all over Ireland doesn't it as well like, yeah, yeah and they're in the cities too yeah you yeah know? totally yeah so that innocence and whatever you want to call it is still there you know mm -hmm. and you know you can make up your songs and stories on the base of that if you like yeah so, that, so it's there it's alive and we're lucky that the world comes to see us here and that's not a boast, it's a fact. I met some amazing people in Killarney, as you have. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm sure all your, your listeners there uh, will talk about their visits to Ireland and the people they met. And of course, we're lucky that the pub tradition is still alive and well here. Yeah. And people seek it out. It's a very special experience, I think. Yeah, but there's—I mean, obviously there are a lot of singer-songwriters in Killarney as well, uh, and a famous actress. There is. You've got Michael there is. Fassbender, and uh, yeah, yeah. So you know him well, yeah. Uh, and now you have Jessie Buckley doing her thing. Yeah, mm, a massive talent. Blazing a trail, internationally oh. speaking. You know, it's um, yeah. What is it in the water? What? What? Where does this come from? Well, you know, Fassbender, Michael Fassbender. I don't know him at all. Yeah. But you, I think you know him well, so you know yeah. the kind of person he is. He's driven, yeah. like... Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. He's also highly talented. I don't know Jessie Buckley, but I know her parents very well. And yeah. she's also highly talented and driven. But now, with internet, mm. and I think probably part of it, as we talked about earlier, life is a confidence trick. But these mm. guys, this new generation, are certainly more worldly and more confident. Yeah. And I think once you have that and a bit of training... And a bit of get up and go. Yeah, that needs to be the most important part, you know, the, the ability to believe in yourself. And, you know, if you haven't quite got it, believe in yourself until you sell it properly, you know, your abilities. That's it. And I mean, yeah. a bit of education, a bit of experience, uh, a bit of gung-ho-ness. And I mean, it's all visible on the internet. You can see what's there. You can see the prize. Bit of luck, yeah. bit of personality and the huge thing that a lot of people forget about, you don't forget about it, manners, please and thank you. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> such yeah, a simple thing, man. You know, such a simple thing. Please and thank you. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. And just honestly, like, just treat everybody as a human being, you know, that's the Absolutely. bit that's missing from society yeah. these days, you know. 
I mean, one of my most difficult jobs uh, is dealing with musicians. Now, they can be the greatest people in the world, but they can be nightmares too, like anybody. But yeah. when you go into a venue, as you know, there's been hundreds and thousands of bands in there before you. So yeah. the guys running the place have seen it all. So you want to walk away from that venue. Number one, they remember you. And number two, you were you didn't cause them any stress or grief. Yeah. I mean, if you have those two things, that door is constantly open. Yeah. And I have proof of it, especially in Germany and America. I mean, I've been gigging for some of the same uh, venue managers and promoters for decades. Yeah. A small bit of, uh, like you say, respect and never take it for granted, you know. Never take it for granted. And the very important one is that even if there are only two people in there, give them the show of their lives. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. That's very yeah. important, you know, to pay tribute to anybody. I played a gig where there was just myself, my brother and the bar lady. And it was one of the best gigs I've ever played in my life, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think that's important, you know, no matter, you, you shouldn't get down, you know, you shouldn't look down on a couple of people who are there if it's poorly attended or whatever, you know? And there's one other small little tip uh, might be offered that I found out myself is that uh, when you're dealing with a promoter or a venue manager or whatever, you have to listen to what they're asking you and mm. you have to give them an answer. Yeah. No matter what's going on in, in yourself or with the other guys or whatever, the guy asks you a question or the woman, <laughs> you have to answer it like mm. as best you can. Mm -hmm. politely uh, and succinctly yeah. what you'll find is they're the same questions over and over in all the places yeah you know? such as such as uh, when do you want to bring in your stuff when do you want to sound check the basic uh, things yeah. yeah do you know where the hotel is did you get the keys uh, uh, is there anything you need during performance is there anything you need after performance uh, this is such and such, they do this, they do that, the other thing. Here's a story about from the Glen Eagle you might like on, on that thing. Uh -huh. uh, Joe Dolan, one of Ireland's greatest ever mm. successful, I suppose, kind of Ireland's answer to Tom Jones, if you That's like. It, yeah. But his manager always found out who was on working that night. Who are you? What's your name? What can you, what, what's your job? Yeah. And he never forgot the names. That's the first thing. And secondly, mm. after depending on their performance, how they helped, he would always give everyone a tip. Nice. It's long-term thinking that you know you've got to you think know. you're going to be back in the same place again. Yeah. It absolutely. Now you now you have it. It, it. You know, a lot of people get caught up in their own greatness and whatever is happening in their own lives, but they forget you're in someone's house. Mm. You're in someone's time. You're the only reason you're there is because they say you can be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know that's the only reason you're there. House rules, you know, as well. Absolutely. If you don't like the color of the wallpaper, if you don't like the color of the drinks, yeah. well, don't look at it. Don't drink it. There's the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, yeah. What's it been like um, touring with your brother Brendan, who is also a fantastic singer-songwriter in his own right? I have to say. Well, in fairness, to Brendan, he's a good guy. Number one. Yeah. Number two, he's got a lot of experience. Yeah, he gigs in, in in variety of setups, so he's got a lot of experience. So he understands what we just talked about. Yeah. Plus the fact, uh, blood is blood. Yeah. You know, it can go good or bad. 
but I'm happy to say it goes good for us. And if we have a disagreement, we're old enough to uh, sort it out. Yeah, sure. You told me you taught him. You taught him his first chords when on the guitar. I did. I did. I taught ago. myself. I taught myself the first chords and all that. Yeah. And he was interested. He showed interest very early on. And I said, "Okay, sit down. I'll get you." I got him a very cheap guitar somewhere. I can't even remember where I got it. He he yeah. probably remembers. And I said, "Okay, this is what you do. Always tune up." And uh, these are the chords. Yeah. And these are these are six or eight chords I can give you and walk away with those. See how you get on. Yeah. And I remember the, one of the first instructions I ever got was from a record, an LP vinyl. Uh, your man, the devil goes down to Georgia. Daniel's, what was his name again? Remember the devil goes down to Georgia. He was looking yeah. for a soul to steal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan something Daniel's, anyway, was yeah. his name. But yeah. he had a guitar tutor that he spoke it on an LP. Right. And I wore that thing out. And it was so brilliant. I, and I wonder where it went to. I'd love to get it again. But uh, <laughs> he had a great way. And I just put the needle back, put the needle back, put the needle back. And I listened to that. He went through everything. Yeah. He was brilliant. You know. So, so he taught you to play the guitar then? Absolutely. And then books, just books, card books and listening and so on. And of course, like yourself, you go to see the guys live, see yeah. what they're actually doing. Yeah. And funnily enough, one of the most musical guys I ever saw, and I mean, I saw many, was David Gray. Yeah. He just plays ordinary cards, ordinary cards. But the music that comes out of it, you know, his musicality is phenomenal. Yeah, his melodies. Melodies uh, are second to none, you know. Great melodies. And uh, I remember seeing him and he was about to throw in the towel. And yeah. you know the place and you love the place, the Strawberry Tree at Courtney's. Uh, yeah. And uh, he was upstairs. He was taken off the playlist in England, in the UK. And he was on the way. This was it. This was the, the last throw of the dice. He was selling his poster for one pound at the time. I remember distinctly. Wow. Yeah. And there was three guys in the band. There was him, bass player, and your man on the drums. Yeah. And that was it. And they had a glum expression, and they were so depressed that these were the last few gigs they were going to do. And after they played in Killarney that night, they went up to Whelan's in Dublin, and they packed it out for two nights solid. And suddenly, the whole, all the wires were alive. Yeah. Oh, did we make a mistake? What is this guy? How, do, how does this happen? Did we miss something? White Ladder was the album, wasn't it? Well, White Ladder. Yeah. And 12 months later, he was playing in the biggest room in Ireland. It was called the Point Up at the time, now called yeah. the O3 Arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from selling his poster for one pound in Clarny uh, to 12 months later, playing the biggest room in the country. Yeah, they say it took him a few years to become an overnight success, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah. It, it, apparently every household in Ireland had a copy of his record. Oh, he was huge here. Yeah. And that's one thing I would say, two things about the Irish scene. One is the media here, the newspapers, the reviewers, they won't bullshit you. Yeah. yeah so no matter who you are, they're going to give you a fair crack at the whip. Mm -hmm. So if it's the Irish Times or the Hot Press or whatever periodical or paper that gives music reviews, they will tell it as it is. Yeah. They don't give fake reviews, I would say. Yeah. That's the first thing. And secondly, people in Ireland know music. That's true. Yeah. And you can't fool them. 
Yeah. If you think you can pull the wool, I'd say pull it somewhere else. Yeah. You know, they can be harsh, they can be critic critical, but they know what they're talking about. When they get into it, they get into it. Yeah. You know, if they're if with they you, love it, they love it. Yeah. There you go. If they're with you, they're with you all the way. I will say that. Yeah. You know, it's part of our fiber here. It's part of our. It's a cornerstone to our existence. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a uh, one, one wonders why it is such a cornerstone to existence in Ireland. You know. I suppose without getting political and oppressed people, there's no barriers, no boundaries, yeah, no borders. Yeah. And it's there in the record books. It's there in the collections. It's always been. It's like. Germans make great cars and great and the best beer in the world. Maybe the Belgians mm. too. Mm. And they make good chocolate, so beer and chocolate, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's culture, it's tradition, you know? Yeah. I also wonder if the weather has something to do with it in Ireland. You know, there's always like, it's quite cloudy. There's the promise of the sun. And when the clouds clear, it's the most phenomenal view ever. It's very inspiring it from a poetic it sense, is. you know? Oh, it is. I mean, all the, the poets and writers have come here. You know, it definitely has. I mean, we have probably we're hitting above our weight in terms of writers and international music stars. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But Krista Berg was on the radio there. Uh, uh, he's a phenomenal songwriter, Krista yeah. Berg. And he lives in Wicklow. But he was saying he said a very good thing on, on the interview. He said that uh, the greatest stars are the humblest people. Yeah. I think there's a lot in that, you know. Yeah. And we've all met well-known people and had the, 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 that experience, I would say. I remember meeting Hank Marvin one night yeah. by accident. What a conversation did we have about guitars and... Wow. Hank Marvin with, with, with Cliff Richard and uh, um, all that. One of the greatest guitar players in the world. Has to be. Amazing, yeah. It's the it's the humble nature of people that it's not about trying to be famous. It's just about no. being grateful for having the ground with which to plant your seeds, you know, your creative seeds. Absolutely. Anyone can be famous quickly and anyone can be infamous, infamous quickly. Yeah. But to stay there is the thing. Yeah. I mean, Bob Dylan has a new album coming out in June, I think it is, or May. Mm -hmm. 39 albums and he don't need the cash. Yeah, it's true, right? 39 <laughs> records, wow. 39 albums, yeah. yeah. And he's the only man in the world, except for our guy, and the, the guy before him was the only man in the world for 60 years to have a Nobel laureate uh, for literature and an Academy Award, George Bernard Shaw. Right. Is that was right? The, yeah, Pygmalion. And uh, My Fair Lady was written from Pygmalion. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And Bob Dylan is the other one. That's it. That's the wow. end of that club, like. It's a very exclusive club there, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Bob Dylan, did he bother turning up to pick the award up? I don't think he did. No, did he? He, he didn't go for, I don't know what the reason was. He had someone else pick it up for him anyway. Yeah. But they get a hundred grand, but they give it to charity, like. Yeah. Yeah. But 39 albums and still producing albums, not hanging out on the pool. Yeah. You know, are, are dead or consumed with drug or drink or women yeah. or whatever, gambling or whatever. I, I suppose the real the real prize is the song you write, you know, the, the, the song you perform. That's the prize. The rest of it is all part of the equation. But without that one key nugget, 
you wouldn't keep doing it, you know. It's inspirational because it's the it's the unquenchable flame, flame, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Burns industry, like you know. It's it's a wonderful burden. That's what I describe it as there a wonderful go. burden, you know. It is, yeah. Uh, and if the songs weren't, if I wasn't still writing good songs, I probably would have given it up. You know what I mean? But if the songs are coming, then okay, it's still there, you know. Yeah. So for yourself, it's just to connect up the expand the listenership and uh, get people singing them I suppose or humming along or whatever yeah yeah it's interesting in the digital age now you know because that's actually all we have is the digital age you know there's nothing there is there are no gigs on the horizon there's nothing like that so what is this all about well I was talking to my brother in New York he lives in New York uh, and yeah. luckily for him he's upstate away from the mayhem yeah but he was saying that they've drawn a veil over it for at least up to Christmas yeah. no gigs at all big or small yeah. So somebody, some quick thinker over there has developed a gigging platform with a tip jar and the whole thing because everybody else was using Facebook. Yeah. But that's not reliable, especially when everyone's using it. So this other one, I, I, the name escapes me, escapes me uh, but right. it's, it's totally solid. It's independent of any Instagrams or Facebooks or any of those okay. things. It can be plugged into those, but it's standalone. There's one called and Stage yet, stage.it, which does that sort of stuff. Maybe it's yeah, that. I don't know if that's the one, but anyway, mm. they're all they're all using it over there now. Okay. And it's highly successful, and obviously it's rewarding for the people. Yeah. But of course, they're bringing their established fan base to it. Yeah. You know. We don't know how it's going to work now. I mean, Niall, Niall, do you know Niall Connolly? I guess yes, you do, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, oh, Brendan. Yeah, I've met him many of the time. I have really been enjoying his his um, Facebook Live things he's been doing. You know, he's been out on his porch and he also lives in north of New York. He does, yeah. State, yeah. And he's out on the porch playing and it's just brilliant to watch him because he's, he's very, very good as well. You know, it's been a joy to, to see that. Did you ever meet him? You should talk to him. I mean, he's an incredible motivator. Talk about optimism. Yeah. I think he invented it. <laughs> I did meet him in Cork many, many years ago, yeah. He's a total rock and roller. He's non-stop. Yeah. He's got a spirit that just is is unquenchable. Like, yeah, he's a great guy, great guy, great worker, uh, and he not he sees no barriers, like just solutions. Ah, that's great. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah, yeah, he's a real troubadour, real minstrel. Yeah, yeah. So they're there. So that's what's going on. So to connect to the future is the thing. Not forgetting the past. Yeah, I don't think we're capable of forgetting the past. You know, we're we're of that era. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but the the other thing is that somebody like me and you, well, certainly me, I might have ten years on on yourself, but uh, the whole CD thing, that was a great impetus for the likes of us, our cottage industry. We could go and make a CD, and sell it, break even, and make a few bob. And yeah. all along the way, we're spreading our fairy dust or our, the petals of our flowers yeah. all over, and people are are getting it. And when you come back, they're familiar with your work. Yeah. So, sadly, the young generation now that that transferability, that semi-permanence, call it that, is kind of ev evaporating to. A, I suppose it's YouTube. I suppose it's whatever. But the fact that that they are giving you money in your hand for something you made with your hand. Yeah. That transferred, you know, it's disappeared, sadly. That, that's disappeared. And also the other thing that's disappearing is the idea of a body of work. 
in in the album format. It isn't about the physical thing. It's about what that means to put 10 songs together, to yeah, have that journey, to link it. it with artwork and things like that on a story. Yeah, sadly, that's missing the whole idea of this, this uh, 45 minutes of yeah. a story, the light and shade, the highs and lows of a recording. And like you say, tying it together with visuals. Yeah. And and all the notes, especially in our business, in the folk business, <clears throat> that's hugely important because it has to have provenance context. Yeah. It has to be connected to a, a time and a place to make it relevant. Mm. It has to be a snapshot and then you move from there onwards and develop it. But uh, uh, lucky to say, though, I would say, though, in the folk arena, whether it's bluegrass or blues or whatever else, flamenco or any of those roots musics, they're not fickle people. Hmm. They're dedicated followers of that hmm. genres and the related genres. And what I find, especially Germany, because Germany is a very interesting place. Outside of the main cities, it's very ho homogenous still. Mm -hmm. If you play a concert there, outside of the main cities, you're playing to 90% 90, 90 German people, born and bred. Yeah. You can't say that to too many places in the world. But the other thing is they're over 30 and maybe over 40. So they're yeah. the CD buying, CD listening, the whole, that generation of... They like that transaction, don't they? That's sort of like they buying do, into something. Yeah. And they're not streamers. Yeah. They're not Spotify generation. So they realize if they don't buy it from you directly, they mightn't get it. Right. You know, so there is still uh, uh, that uh, economy is still there. Got to get over to Germany then. Yeah. It sounds yeah. good. Well, yeah. I mean, the Beatles were there, Van Morrison, yep. Rory Gallagher, you name them. Yeah. All huge there, you know. Yeah. And I often thought about it over the years that if you're sitting anywhere in Germany, east, west, north or south, and you draw a line 50 miles or 80 kilometers diameter, there's at least a million people. And if you get 0.00001% of that, you're in business. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And there's so many wonderful buildings and towns and and I'm into the history and the architecture and you're playing in this 800 year old room. I mean, what kind wow. of stuff went on there in that time? Yeah. And this hall was built for a reason back then. Yeah. And it was for the king and his lords to talk to his, his subjects, you know. And here are you doing the same in, in another yeah. fashion, in another time. I mean, that's honor, that's privilege. Yeah. You should uh, you should do a little documentary next time you go on the road over there, you know, towards the end of the year. Often thought about it. Uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a possibility visiting all the places over the years, talking to the people. I'd be ashamed not to do it, you know. What, what I found is that Germanic people don't mince their words. Yeah. And they will come up after the gig and say it was this, that and the other. So it's a litmus test. And you won't get that to too many places. You won't, no. If you can absorb the bluntness, you're in business. I prefer that to silence, to be honest. You know, it's better know, to know where you stand than to not know what's going on, you know. But isn't that the language of art? If it's indifferent, it's no good. It's no good, yeah. It has to provoke good or yeah. bad. 
not yeah. indifference. Indifference is no good. And yeah. the word that we all probably hate is nice. Oh God. I don't do <laughs> we don't do nice. No, yeah. no, no, no. No, nice is horrible. Yeah. Nice is for cakes and ice cream, like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But in your music, I mean, you're constantly creating, you're constantly pushing ahead. I am more now, actually, yeah. It's been funny. I think since the lockdown's happened, I've become more in touch with who I want, well, who I am myself. You know, I've stripped away everything. I've got my guitar and my pen and paper, and uh, the songs are flying out. Um, and what you're doing with this podcast is a wonderful beginning. I mean, you're, you're, you're absorbing the what's happening in the scene, as it were, but you're giving the likes of myself to speak to your listeners, which yeah. is... I would thank thankful for that. Well, I think it's wonderful to hear your story so much. You know, I didn't know that much of your story. You know, I'm, I'm sure yeah. we could talk for a lot longer about it and stuff. You know, but yeah, uh, yeah. W- what's on the horizon for you now? That uh, this well, at the moment now, I'm I'm trying to grapple with this this pandemic, and yeah. we have our series of ten free concerts planned for the summer. And I over the winter, I secured arts funding for that. Yeah. But our first kickoff show is June the 13th. But I'm having probably, we're opening in Ireland on May the 18th. Yeah. So we should get some finer detail whether or not the, these gigs would be possible in June at all. Yeah. Now, the advantage of that, this venue, this church venue that we work with, the people there are fantastic, the minister and all. And they often have visiting choirs from America, the UK or wherever. Hmm. So I presume all of them have cancelled. So that means our dates are available. So if we can't operate in June, we had two shows in June, probably push them on. So I have to tidy that next week after we open and more detail comes out. And then we're concentrating on the German tour in October, end of September, October, 25 shows there. Yeah. So that's always a marathon, but very enjoyable. And hopefully we'll get the tail end of the summer. Yeah. They're talking about August the 10th opening up, which is fine because it's the first day of Puck Fair. <laughs> and for your listeners, that's kind of Irish Mardi Gras where oh, goats are yeah. involved and yeah. lots of mad stuff. Yeah. But it's it's a wonderful festival of a- anything and anything, anything can happen. But yeah. I usually do about nine shows for them. Yeah including my African show. We do a percussion thing, percussion voice with my African friend. Okay. And another Irish friend, three of us. We do that. We do workshops. We do other performances too. So I do nine shows for them. So that's a big week for me. And then we have a few other things on on the pipeline as well. But after May the 18th, things should become clearer whether our domestic work will be Mm -hmm. allowable. Yeah, but at the moment it it's not looking we're going to be back to work until July or possibly August. So yeah, yeah. So you're gardening instead now. That's it. Well, I'm rehearsing too. I mean, you have it's like an athlete. You know it yourself. You have to keep up the chops, keep the muscle memory, and keep fresh. Yeah. I'm also taking the option of looking at uh, new material, and yeah. I've been asked to produce. Uh, a record, a CD for for German friends nice. that that would be kind of classical meets Irish traditional meets German folk music. Oh, nice! But basically acoustic folk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'll hopefully be producing that. And I've already had a couple of meetings. So 
hopefully if they agree they have the funding in place which is brilliant always yeah and now they have the musicians in place so now they have to agree the research phase yeah how's that how's it going to look and instrumentation and i think what they want to do because they like my own work uh, which was recorded with tony o'flaherty here here in killarney and they like the quality of the sound that he mm. got mm. so i think they're going to come here yeah. and record for a week so tony will engineer yeah they're going to probably come in october or sorry in september or november for a week Great. and record yeah. so that'd be interesting to do that to be it's a new role for you then as a producer oh i've produced a couple of things before okay yeah joan green you know joan yeah she's yeah, a, yeah. a local yeah. singer i worked with double bass uh multi-layering guitars piano and multi-layering vocals she produced the rec i produced the record for her back in 2012 and then i did the afro tread which was a completely new project for me that was five vocals and about eight sets of drums we had stereo pairs on every drum right and then we had uh melody instruments intertwined with that so that was pretty big and then i produced about 15 years ago for ronnie moore you know ronnie yeah another great singer from our locality with steve wickham and the water boys we worked on uh, uh they built a famine ship in tralee Jeannie johnson to sail it yeah to sail it to canada yeah. so ronnie and i got together and ronnie wrote a song and uh, melodies and we went over to the people in Tralee to try to sell it because there would be a documentary coming up and we were giving it for free just the royalties yeah to get on the documentary and have it as the theme song yeah but they gave us a very bad reception so oh. we we were upset by that because we had spent three months working on it yeah. so we went to canada and talked to those guys and they loved it they played it on Canadian TV, National Canadian Radio, and we went to RTE here. And uh, there was a guy called Max Sweeney. He used to do a, a maritime program. He played it on RTE television. Nice. And we didn't go back to Tralee after that. We thought that they would. <laughs> so we, I just put it out myself about uh, back in two, 2006. Yeah. I put it out. So that was that was multi-layered strings with Steve. Steve is a wonderful musician and a yeah. fantastic person to work with. We had double bass. We had a piano accordion or kind of concertina sounds and layered vocals and that. So done a bit yeah. of that. Not a, not a lot of it, but some. Yeah. Another one. That's what's happening in the next six months. Brilliant. You'll have to give me some links and stuff to to post up here. I'll do that on my okay. end. Um, uh, one one more person I'd like to talk about. That's Martin Hayes. Um, are you friends with him? Very, yeah, Martin's a great great guy. He is probably the finest musician I've ever heard in my life. I have to say, he's Martin is <clears throat> a wonderful person who comes from County Clare. Yeah, a place called Fecal, which is basically just outside Limerick, twenty five miles or so. Mm. Uh, Martin's lived. I got to know him in America, yeah. and he was he was. I would even go further and say he was friends of the family. We actually did a TV commercial and a radio jingle together right. years ago. Years ago, I have that on cassette. It's very fun listening back to it now. <laughs> uh, but Martin is great and a tremendous innovator, and he's always working on his music. Yeah. He married. He got married late, and he lives in Madrid. 
and his wife is from Madrid, I believe. Oh, so see, I don't okay. I don't see him as often as I used to. Yeah. And he lived in Chicago, and I have a lot of connections there. And then he moved around the states. He was in Seattle for a while, and then he was in Connecticut, and then. He moved back here thinking he could base here and then he met this lady and so I think he divides his time between Ireland and Madrid. Yeah. Like one note from him contains more souls yeah. than most yeah. people's lifetime of notes. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah he's a big yeah. fan of jazz and classical and all the other genres and he's borrowed little snippets from all of that and he fuses yeah. it into the root which is Irish traditional music. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> But he's not afraid to expand uh, and experiment with different... Uh, I think he's four four different ensembles at the moment. Yeah. But Martin isn't a slave either. He likes his downtime. Yeah. And he'll only do 100 gigs a year. That's it. Yeah. But I, I, I see his... I hear his music arriving, a lot of soundtrack stuff on TV. So I, 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 would, I, wouldn't, be, uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he leaned into the in the film score type mm -hmm. that type of uh, work he's done some of it and yeah. I'd say that will probably be a bigger part of his work yeah. yeah yeah but he said the best gig he told me himself several times he wasn't boasting he was just because you know we all travel and yeah. we all have different uh, parameters under which we gig but he said the best gig he has, does in the world is in the Irish National Concert Hall in Dublin. And he's played the New York Symphony and countless other places. So that's a big one for him to say that. Just the conditions, the acoustics, everything. Right. He says you couldn't get better than that. And he's wow. played all over. That's crazy indeed, isn't it? He, he'd know. They did seven gigs there in a row last year and no more yeah. gigs then in Ireland. That's, that's an achievement in itself. He'll be around in the summer. He always comes in the summer. So if you can get over here between the whatever's happening, I don't think there's any I don't think there's any flight restrictions, I believe, between Ireland and England. You can fly. Yeah. But summer's yeah. been cancelled, apparently. They've cancelled the. <clears throat> yeah. So they say, yeah, that, that, that's fine. We'll get over that. Yeah. So I, I, I'd gladly introduce you to him if, if we're in the same area. Martin is a gentleman and he thinks a lot about what he does. He's dedicated completely and fully. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's unique, yeah. Well, yeah. Tim, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Um, please pass me some links at the end and I'll put them on the end of this podcast. Okay, and uh, um, thanks a lot for the opportunity and I wish you well with, all, with your new home and uh, new music and all your exploits and adventures. Thank you, likewise. I look forward to seeing you in, in person very soon, my friend. And if I can be a help, let me know. I will do, man. I will do. Well, what about that, folks? That was a fantastic insight into what it takes to actually survive in the music game. Tim is now a veteran of surviving in the game. 30 years of career. You can get a real sense of where his love for music comes from and, and, and how ingrained his family was and his grandmother and stuff. And that's amazing, that image of the concertina above the mantelpiece and the reverence for a young boy coming into that room and the sharing of stories and the community spirit that would have flowed through that. And you also had a real insight into the workings and the daily sort of thought process involved in this game, including doing your taxes, you know, being above board and being level-headed and treating it as a proper business. I tell you, there's a lot of lessons in there for myself too moving forward. I really would encourage you to go and check out Tim's music because he backs up 
his incredible work ethic with some phenomenal talent and fluid guitar playing. It's so inspiring. I, I can see how influenced I have been by that style of playing. And his singing, his voice really pours the words out, that holding of the note and that holding of the sense of the self within the note. It's a real, a real joy to behold and to listen to. Uh, and he's a man of great humour as well. He'll be having the crack there when he's talking on stage. So please, please um, go to his website, which is www.timoshayandfriends.com. Uh, also, the YouTube is Tim O'Shea and Friends. And check it out and, and soak it up and enjoy this authentic Irish music that clearly comes from a small corner pocket of Ireland uh, and has been gathered up through uh, historical ancestries through the, through the continents around the place from... I guess millennia, you know. Um, and again, thank you so much for tuning into Tapping the Flow. I really hope you enjoyed that. Um, and if you have any suggestions, thoughts, want to say hello, suggest a guest, please come and say hi. I'd love to hear from you. Um, until next time, I wish you a thoroughly creative, beautiful, powerful, enlightened time. Cheers. Cheers.